If it's like this for just uh, people we haven't seen in years, what's going to be like when we get to heaven one day? And we'll all rally, gather around the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll do this all over again. And it'll be amazing. We'll meet people we never met, and we'll celebrate victories that have been won. And all of this life will be behind us, and whatever's been done for Christ will last. And as we're honoring the Francines today, I'm thinking about how much that uh, they've been able to do by God's grace that's going to last forever. We first came here, my wife and I, back in 1993, and I remember that August, I was asked to come on as a teacher at Eagle Heights. Now, you know the school was desperate when they were looking for somebody like me who had no experience whatsoever. Uh, there was a change of some teachers, and they said, we just need somebody to fill in a year. I'd, I'd spoken to Pastor Suter about coming here, eventually being a staff evangelist, and they said, would you come and teach? okay, we'll pray about it. I'd always learn you don't say no, you know, to the Lord. You just say, I'll pray about it. And uh, you never tell God no. Did you ever find out if you tell God no, you probably will? I'll never, and guess what you'll do? Now, I have been telling God for years that I'll never be a millionaire. So far, that's working out. But other than that, you know, you don't tell God no. So, Pastor Suter said, would you consider teaching? And I, oh, okay, what do you want me to teach? Well, Bible, one class. Oh, I could do that, maybe. Uh, English. Okay, and um, we need computers and, and we need secretary. Well, Angela had been trained in all that, so okay. So, okay, we'll do that. So we prayed about it, and the Lord led us to come. Well, I remember probably the first couple of weeks that we were at Eagle Heights, it was a church work day, and everybody was out on this property. We had moved to this location in 1992 as a church body, so there was a lot going on. There were post holes being dug out here. And I said, where, where should I go? And they said, well, there's a crew right over here. You can go help those guys that are digging. The digging crew always needs help, right? So I go over there, and, and there is the leader of the digging crew, because I'm still trying to get names. He's on his knees, and he's up to his elbows in this red clay. They don't call it Clay County for nothing here. He's up to his elbows in red clay, and I figure out that's Mr. Francine. Oh, that's the principal. I mean, I had met him, you know, but he didn't look like Mr. Francine when he's into... At least not the Mr. Francine I knew. And then I thought, the guy looks like Marty Schottenheimer. That's who I thought he looked like. And I was just getting to know the Chiefs at the time. You know, that's going to be my new team. And this, is my, and this is my new team. And I found out that the Francines were into everything. As uh, Angela and I came here, okay, so what do we, well, you'll have some part in school. Okay, so Angela, and, and who do we go to if you need help? Well, the Francines, they'll help you. Okay, and then we'd be involved in church ministry. Okay, there's music going on. So... Angela would maybe do some specials. Okay, so who does the piano? Well, that would be Pat Francie. And, you know, uh, we were working in max competitions for the Christian school. And, well, kind of, who oversees? Well, that would be Mr. Francie. And, you know, I quickly realized that the Francine signature was on everything around this place. And it has been for now nearly 40 years. And as I was preparing to put together some remarks on them, I, I thought about the idea of a signature. A signature is a distinctly identifying mark. When you sign a check or some legal document, or even if you write your name on a thank you note, you leave an identifying mark that's unique to you. Think about it. It could be so binding that even if uh, you go to a court of law, something you've signed could be admissible as evidence either in favor of or in dispute of something that you claim. all comes down to your signature on that thing. When the word is used as an adjective, signature, it connotes something that's distinctly and closely associated with an individual. For example, 
Super Bowl 54 was Andy Reid's signature accomplishment. Okay, that's the use of the word, signature. Well, in that context, I believe that Eagle Heights Baptist Church has been in so many ways the signature work of the Francines. So much of their life here. It wasn't in vain that he earned a degree at Texas A&M in engineering and worked in this town for eight years in the secular field. But then he went and said, any job maybe I could do? And Pat was telling me today, their first job, he went from being Bob the businessman to Bob the Bible teacher over at Tri-City. And then came over here, Tri-City North at the time, and taught in the Christian school. Sixth grade and principal. And then from principal... As time went by, assistant pastor, an executive pastor, first under Tom Souter and then under Brother Richard King, and eventually he would become interim pastor here, and then for the last 13 years, pastor. Basically, he knows this place from the ground up because he's done it all from the ground up. Somewhere along the way, Pat was working a little bit. She had kids at home, so she was the stay-at-home mom, and she was telling me, yeah, I started out working just one day a week with Dave Miller, helping out at General Securities, doing some things there. And when my husband saw what I was doing there, he said, can you come over and do that here in the school? And so she did for a day or so. She had to wait for Andrew to grow up. So by the time he was about 15, no, I don't think it was that late. Okay. By the time he was about five or so, she could work a little bit more. And next thing you know, she's school secretary. And then she's church secretary. And then she's Mrs. Pastor. And I don't think there is anybody in this place that has put their imprint more on this church than the Francines. I thought about all the times that pastor would have to get up and give a, a stern rebuke to somebody. There were times. And I thought about the times the pastor would just be moved to tears. Do you remember there used to be a sign that, sung, uh, that hung on his office door? It was a picture of an eagle with a very stern countenance and it said, I am smiling. How many of you remember the I am smiling hanging on the door? That was our beloved administrator. But I want to tell you, although the eagle on the picture looks stern, I, I hardly ever remember Mr. Francine for sternness. I always remember Pastor for his compassion, for hardly ever giving a testimony that he wasn't moved to tears. If you've ever been to the office, a lot of times there'll be a memo passed around. And, you know, some people are known by their initials. LBJ for Lyndon B. Johnson... Um, George W. for President Bush. MJ, if you follow basketball, that was Michael Jordan. Um, In football, OBJ is Odell Beckham Jr. Well, in Eagle Heights, there's RMF. And if you ever got a memo in the office, it was just an RMF. How many of you ever got an RMF memo? I got my share. And uh, I didn't even know today what the M was for. I had to ask Andrew. I said, Andrew, what's the M for? He said, Mark. I said, ah, Mark the perfect man, behold the upright. Okay. So I never even knew the M. You know, I just knew RMF. Robert. It's Bob to me. Pastor to me. Mr. Francine. He'd been all kinds of things to me. Yes, sir, to me. Nice shot in golf. Bob to me, you know. But uh, I want to talk about the acrostic today, RMF. I decided I used those letters of his name as a way to honor the Francines on this day. I'm calling this message Signature Faithfulness. Because I think that really describes the lives of the people that we are gathered to honor today. I want to start off in Exodus 33. And I went through Scripture. I was going through the roll call of Bible characters in my mind, thinking, okay, who do I know in Scripture that most exemplifies Pastor Francine's life? And there were a number of them I thought of. But ultimately, I settled on Joseph. Joseph. 
I know, Brother Williams, that that's one of your favorite characters you were telling us in Sunday school. And uh, I'm not sorry, I'm going to Joshua. He's been preaching on Joseph, Joshua. And uh, he's been covering Joseph in Sunday school for a while. But I thought of Joshua. I thought about Joshua. In fact, I'll show you why. Exodus 33. And I'm just going to hit a few highlights from his life. Exodus 33. Pick up in verse 10 here. All the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. All the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Now, you know, at the time, Moses is the guy getting the direct message from God. He's the top dog in Israel. And Joshua, at the time, a young man, is called Moses' servant. You know what that is? It's like a personal assistant. Now, I was trying to understand, what is the role of a personal assistant? And I got thinking about a conversation I had with my daughter recently, my daughter Brianna. I had a friend in college named Peter, and Peter's life ambition is to be in politics. And so he has worked with a couple of different congressmen. Um, recently, he worked for Matt Gates, G-A-E-T-Z. Any of you watch Fox News have probably seen Matt Gates on Fox News. And so Peter was personal assistant to Matt Gates, who's a congressman out of Florida, and uh, so I said, what does a personal assistant do, Peter? He said, well, basically, you're, you're an indentured servant. Uh, he said, some days I'm Uber driver. Wherever he wants to go, I drive. He said, some days, you know, um, I go get donuts or coffee. You know, some days I listen to any speech that he might want to deliver. Other days, I'm just a sounding board. He said, basically, whatever the boss says, that's what you do. That's what Joshua was to Moses. And I want to tell you, for many years, that's what Pastor Francine was here. Brother Williams was going through the characteristics of contentment, and he was saying in our Sunday school lesson, well, you know, you wouldn't typically think of David as a person of contentment, but then he showed from the text, oh, yeah, he really was. But you know what? When he made the comparison to Pastor Francine, I thought, I immediately think of him as a person of contentment. This is not a person who tried to lobby for position or ever tried to help climb the totem pole. No, just wherever God uses me, that's where I want to be. So he stays in the tabernacle. Why why does he want to stay in the tabernacle there? Moses is getting direct revelation from God. The tabernacle was the place where people would go to meet with God. And I want to to start with this. The R that I want to use this morning is role model. Role model. I was going to go with the idea of right-hand man. Because Brother Bob has been right-hand man to many in this ministry. But really, that was a short-lived thing for Joshua and really for Pastor God was grooming him to be a position of a role model. You see that all through the scripture. Let's jump over to Numbers 14, if you will. Numbers 14. And again, I'm, I'm preaching textual and topical today. We're going to be true to the text, but uh, of necessity, we're doing, we're doing a uh, biographical study today in Joshua's life. Role model. Why? Well, chapter 13 of Numbers, the spies, the 12 spies had been sent into the land of Canaan. And you remember, they came back with a mixed report. And they said, well, it's, there's no doubt. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, look at these grapes. And they brought back one cluster of grapes that was so big, it hung on a staff, a pole between two men. Can you imagine one cluster of grapes that big? They said, yeah, this came out of the land. I mean, this was pretty amazing. It's an awesome place as far as agriculture, but we got a problem. Ten of the spies can only focus on the problem. They said, well, there's a rather formidable foe. You see... The enemy, well, they're giants. They're way bigger. In fact, in their sight, we're going to look like grasshoppers. And there's just no way that we can go into the land. 
Now look at me in Numbers 14, pick up in verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the congregation of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would God die in the land of Egypt, or would God we died in the wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Isn't it amazing that as soon as something goes bad, it's Moses' fault? You're like, I don't know if you keep up with the news. I mean, have you heard the term coronavirus? What day have you not heard the term? And whose fault is it? President Trump. You'd think the man invented the coronavirus, right? It's amazing how often people in leadership get the blame. They had nothing to do with it. We often say everything rises and falls in leadership. And I'll tell you, if you're going to be in leadership, you're going to take the hits. And pastor's been willing to take the hits over the years. Now, they're complaining, nah, we'll never be able to take this land. But notice at this point, Joshua's uh, assistant, go down to verse 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. They spake to the company of the children of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give us the land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the, Lord, uh, the people of the land, for their bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. The Lord's with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. You know, beware of majority opinion. It's not usually right. When it comes to walking with God particularly, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. We saw that referenced in Sunday school. What's wisdom? Seeing life from God's point of view. Ten spies said, no way we can go there. They're looking at it humanly. But you know, Joshua really typifies Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know, I thought of the Francines typifying that. I asked Pastor if he'd be on my board. I, we have a ministry, Tozer Evangelistic Ministries, is 501c3. Okay, so I'm, I'm under the authority of Eagle Heights Baptist Church, but I'm organized as far as the government's concerned as a separate ministry. So I figured, well, I ought to have my pastor on that board. And uh, that wasn't just because, well, I'm part of Eagle Heights, so I have pastor. No, it's because of his wisdom and because of I can trust his counsel. Like Brother Williams said, so many times he's gone to pastor for counsel. I've many times called pastor and said, you know, I'm just thinking about this pastor, but what do you think? I want to bounce this off you. And I'll tell you what, pastor never said, well, Rich, here's what you should do. He said, well, you know, here's what, here's what the Bible says. This much I know, and I can tell you, I think I'd do this in light of what God says. What are you thinking about it? And he'd always take me back to God's word. You know, Scripture says, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. When you've got somebody that loves you enough to tell you the truth, that's a friend you don't ever want to give up on. That's a friend you don't ever want to turn your back on. Those of you who have, have our pastor as a friend, you know the kind of loyalty that pastor exhibits. And you know where it comes from? It's loyalty to God. When I think about that, I think about Pat and her faithfulness to Bob. She marries a guy she thinks is going to be an engineer. You know, most engineers I knew of have done pretty well with money. And then we're going to do What? Teach Bible in a Christian school and then be a sixth grade teacher in an upstart school. This is really sounding promising, isn't it? Praise the Lord for a wife who's willing to stand with her husband wherever God would lead. 
And she's exhibited that all the way through. Role model. In the end, God tells Joshua, you know, I'm going to have you take over. And uh, Moses is not able to go into the land. Comes a point where the leader can go no further, no farther. And so he passes the baton. By God's plan, Joshua becomes the guy. And I want you to see Joshua chapter 1, if you will. We're going to go into the beginnings of Joshua about to take the people in the promised land. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And I'm reminded of this. You know, before God works through a man, he first works in a man. I've said that many times in my life. I don't know where I first heard that, but it is so true. Before God works through a man, he first works in a man. The people were all scared to death. We can't go into the land. There are giants there. Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And I'll tell you, Francines have exhibited that quality. It's not about what do men think. What does God think? We've got an answer to that. We're in Joshua chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, came to pass that the Lord spake to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Okay, so follow this. The Lord says, okay, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. You go walk the land, and wherever your feet tread, that's your property. You just go get it. Okay, so how are we going to do this? Well, drop on down to uh, verse 5 for a minute. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Only time you see the word success in our English Bible. You'll have good success, and then what does he say? Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. You know, the R is role model. But then it came to M. There are a number of M's that came to mind. Um, first one I thought of was modest. Francines have never th- sought the limelight for themselves. No- nobody I've ever met has ever said to me privately, well, that Bob Francine is a proud person. I have never heard that. In fact, I have heard always the exact opposite. Anybody who I've ever met that didn't know that I knew Bob Francine, oh, he's your pastor? That is the most wonderful man. That, that is the most, that's a remarkable ministry. Oh, we had interaction with the Francines through Max. We had interaction through AACS, whatever it was. But, but you know what I never saw in the Francines was any grandstanding. Hey, you know, we need recognition. Never. Faithfully doing this to the Lord. I could have used the word modest. I, I thought of the word mentor. I was taking a little video clip of all this because just a sampling of all the alumni up here. And thinking, boy, the people that the Francines have influenced over the years. And I didn't want to look over there because I knew as soon as I did, I'd do what he was doing. So finally at the end, I shot a look over there. And he's balling, of course. You know, I, I would have been gravely disappointed if he weren't. Think about it. These guys weren't just filling in a slot in the service when they said, I saw Jesus in you. Yeah, they sure have. I sure have. 
Mentor, that's another word. Then I thought of the word manager. Boy, Brother Francine is renowned around here for his organizational capabilities. You know, I could have used that word. So all those, that's the three M's, but we're not using the three M's. No, the word I settled on was the word meditative. It comes out of our text in Joshua 1. Meditative, it means a person who's given to contemplation, to pondering, to chewing over something, to being purposefully committed to. And it is the key that made Joshua success, and I thought about it. As I've traced pastor's trajectory around here, going from the guy in the trenches, literally, when I first got working with him in the post hole digging, you know, the school principal and then assistant pastor, executive pastor, and interim pastor, and then pastor. The trajectory can be attributed to one really underwriting principle in his life. Our pastor has committed himself to faithful meditation in God's Word. Interesting to me that that's the one strategy for success Joshua's given. He's told, you're to meditate in these words day and night. There's nothing of, of a military strategy here. He didn't say, okay, I want you to uh, prepare a bunch of bows and arrows, sharpen your swords, get some spears, get some shields. There's, there's nothing of a military directive here. It's all about going to the Word of God. And Joshua, if you as a military leader are going to be a success, you've got to meditate in my Word day and night. Hey, by the way, good note for all of us. It's not just the evangelist and the pastor that need this. You need this. Everyone, I don't know what your businesses are, all of you. I know some of you. I know some of your business, okay. But you know what? Your business is my business in this respect. You need to meditate in God's Word every day. When you meditate in the Word and you mind what He says, then you'll prosper. It's the MOP principle. Meditate, obey, prosper. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Let me tell you how to mop up your life. Meditate, obey, prosper. And when you mull over God's word, the way I say meditate, meditate. It's to chew the cut of truth. It's to contemplate. Think on God's word. It's not just speed reading. This year I decided to do something a little different in my quiet time, so I downloaded an audio Bible, and I've been reading along with listening to the audio. And I will tell you, if you're not careful, sometimes you can let your mind wander. So there are pros and cons to all these approaches. But I'm, I'm reading my Bible, marking stuff while I'm, while I'm listening. There are times the guy I was listening to was too slow, so I put it on one and a half times. You know, like, speed this up, fella. You know, I read a little faster than this guy. But then I realized, ah, you know what, let's, let's slow it down to one here again. Let's just meditate. Interesting. I was in a Bible encyclopedia this week doing my background study on Joshua, and this is what one fellow said about Joshua. Since he was over, it was over 40 years, oh, I'm sorry, he was over 40 years old when he left Egypt and seemed qualified to command the Israelite forces who fought the Amalekites at Rephidim, Rephidim. it's possible that he had been trained in Pharaoh's army. Okay, this is, this is one seminarian's assumption. It's possible that Joshua had been trained in Egypt's army. Now, I had never thought about that before. I I did write this note to self. I learned a long time ago the expression, it is possible, means nothing. Well, you know, think about the Trump impeachment hearings. Well, he withheld money from the Ukrainians, and it's possible that he did so to dig up dirt on his political opponent. You know what that means? Millions of dollars of waste. It means it's possible. That doesn't prove anything. Okay, so I thought, okay, the seminarium. However, what if he's right? What if, okay, what if the fact that the, the, um, Joshua was in Egypt and maybe he got military experience? Let's just go that route for a minute. Now, I, I lean to thinking maybe that wasn't true because in verses 
6, 7, and 9, we see be strong and courageous, be strong and of good courage, be strong and very courageous. Does that imply to you, I kind of infer from that, that he wasn't a natural let me at him kind of leader? But let's assume maybe he was. Maybe he's, a, maybe he's trained in military. Whatever training he got in Egypt wasn't matching anything that he got when God says, okay, we're about to go into the promised land. Now, you've been wandering around for 40 years. This is not working. And this is not working because I'm letting them tread water until they die off, all the detractors. So now the 40 years are up. It's time to go in. So Joshua, here's what I want you to do. Okay. Walk on the land. Every place the sole of your foot treads, that's yours. Got it. Meditate in my word day and night. Okay. And that's it. What? I want you to listen to a couple of scriptures throughout the Bible on the topic of meditating. Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. But his delight, speaking of the man of God, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He should be a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Okay, you want to succeed? Meditate my word and obey it, and you'll prosper. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. How do you get smarter than your teachers? Meditate in God's word. Huh. 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16. And I think if there were one scripture I could pick, if, if somebody said, Rich, you can pick one scripture to honor the pastor today, I think I would have picked just this text, 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear unto all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You know how pastor went from being principal and school teacher to executive pastor to interim pastor to pastor? Well, yeah, he, he got a Bible degree. You know, he went up to Maranatha and he, and he earned a master's degree. He did that. Yeah, he went to Maranatha Baptist Bible College, Maranatha Baptist University, and, and got a degree in Bible. But he had that a while ago. And that was just a four-year academic pursuit. And I don't say just to minimize it. But you know what got the Francines where they are now? Because this is true of Pat as well as Bob. Every day they open up this book, and every day they seek God for wisdom, and every single day, the blessings from heaven fall like the manna for the children of Israel that they would go out and gather up fresh every day. And I can tell you this, your pastor has gleaned from God's word every day for decades. What about you? Meditative. Yeah, mark this about Robert Mark, that Brother Bob has meditated in God's word. And above everything, that has prepared his path to success. There's one last word. In his name, it's F, Francine. This was a no-brainer. What F would you choose for Francine if you were me? Faithful. Yeah, I think there'd be unanimous consensus on that one. Faithful. You know, from start to finish, Joshua was a faithful man. Interesting, on the eve of attacking Jericho to take over the promised land, Joshua was on a personal reconnaissance mission. He was scoping out Jericho. I want you to jump to Joshua 5, if you will. Joshua 5. Pick up in verse 13. Joshua 5, verse 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. 
Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? He said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Loose, loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua's checking things out. You know, he's, yeah, he's absolutely full of faith in God. He's also doing his part. You know, pastor didn't just meditate in the word of God and just say, well, I'm sure somebody will get there and make sure the heat's set right. I'm sure somebody will make sure the temperature's set right. I'm sure somebody will get there and turn on the lights. I'm sure, no, there's practical application to be carried out in all the details. And we all know our pastor is a man of details. Joshua was a man of details. He's out on this reconnaissance mission and he's checking things out. And all of a sudden, he's taken by surprise. He sees a guy with a sword drawn. And I'm sure he expected he might possibly encounter a soldier from Jericho. But as he looks, there's something. No, this doesn't look like a soldier from Jericho. In fact, he's so intrigued, he approaches the man. And he says, uh, are you on our side or their side? I'll never forget when Pastor King was pastor, and, and I, th- I think all of you can tell, every one of our pastors has left an indelible mark in my, my life. And as I was sitting under Brother King, I remember Brother Richard would give me books all the time. One of the books that absolutely shaped my life was a book he recommended called The Saving Life of Christ by Ian Thomas. I've mentioned it, I don't know, scads of times here. The Saving Life of Christ, and one of my favorite chapters in the book, and it's all because of Richard King's exuberance for it. He said, oh, Brother... You got to read the chapter on the man with the sword in his hand. <laughs> oh, it's just good. It's just good. And so I remember I read the chapter of the man with the sword in his hand. It's on this chapter. And I'll tell you, as I went to the, the man with the sword in his hand, this is the paragraph. Ian Thomas says, The response of this captain, the host, he said, I'm neither on your side nor I am on their side. I have come as captain of the host of the Lord, I have not come to take sides. I have come to take over. That is such an important principle. Sometimes the pastor thinks, you know, well, I, you know, I wonder who's on my side. And never seen that in our pastor. You know what the ambition was? Are we on God's side? Many of you know that during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was asked, do you think that God's on our side? And he replied that he wasn't so much interested as whether or not God was on our side, but whether we are on his side. That ought to be the MO for every one of us. That ought to be our, in this case, I'll use MO as marching orders. I know it's modus operandum. Our marching orders, are we on God's side? Faithfulness. So the Lord says, you're going to go and you're going to take Jericho. So you remember chapter 6 comes along and how are we going to do it, Lord? He says, what I want you to do is I want you to walk around the city once a day, six days. Got it? Yeah. So the, the priest will carry the Ark of the Covenant, okay? They'll blow on ram's horns, okay? Got it? Oh, one more thing, Joshua. The people are not to say anything. Now, I want to tell you, being a person given to conversation, that would have been the hardest part of the whole deal. Mm, zip it. No talking for whatever, how long ever it took to make one try. Oh, and so Joshua says, okay, one lap around, no talking, blow the trumpets, got it. And that's all for day one. Okay, then what? Day two? Mm -hmm. Same plan. Okay, walk around, blow trumpets, carry the ark, 
No talking. Yep. Okay, what are you going to do on the third day? Same thing. Fourth day, fifth day, sixth. Six days of this. Okay. And then how are those walls going to come down? Seventh day, Joshua, what I want you to do is get up really early because you're going to make seven laps around the city. And you're going to walk, same thing, no talk, and blow the ram's horns. But on the seventh lap, when I tell you, all the people are going to shout to the Lord. Okay, yeah? Draw our swords and, you know, get the battery. You're going to shout to the Lord. Yeah? And the walls are going to fall down. <laughs> Highly precedent in military strategy, right? I mean, this, this, is, this has got all the strategic promise in the world, right? No way. But Joshua did it. You know, I really think that that walking around the walls is a powerful picture of intercessory prayer. Have you ever felt like praying, you were just going in circles? My, my prayer route when our trailer is parked out here is between here and QT, I've told you that, you know, and I walk in the night. And, but I'll tell you, one of my favorite prayer memories in this place is right out there in that front lobby, Sunday mornings at 6 a.m., be a handful of men that meet, gather, and I'm away a lot, and Brother Booth moved away, but Pat Irving's usually there, and Al Volden's there, and Brother Jackson, Ron Jackson's there, and Pastor's there, and there'll be some others that'll come sometimes, and am I forgetting anybody else normally there? Brother Schaefer, that's good. Yeah, I haven't been here for that yet. So, it's a band of men, and we pray. You know, we've been praying for years for revival. I've got to tell you, sometimes you think, we've been praying and praying and praying. Make another lap. Make another lap. Make another lap. Because when the victory comes, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord host. I want you to close this message in Joshua 24. Let's go to the end of his life. He follows God in every detail. Joshua 24. Oh, did he have challenges along the way? Sure. Were there struggles? Yeah. But I want to tell you, he proved faithful. Here at Joshua 24, he's challenging the people just before the exploit, uh, or the end of his ministry, sorry, before they're about to be turned over to what would become the time of the judges. Notice in 13, 24, 13, I've given you a land for which you did not labor, cities which you built not, and you dwell in them, the vineyards and olive yards which you planted not, uh, which you planted not do you eat. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity. And in truth, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. Serve ye the Lord. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And what happened? Look at the record in verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, which had known all the works of the Lord that he'd done for Israel. Psalm 12 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, the faithful fail from among the children of men. Does it bother you to see a famine of faithful men in our day? Hmm. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man, who can find? Well, folks, we found one. For just about four decades, we've had a faithful couple working among us. 
And I thought of what Jesus said in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Luke 16.10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. 1 Corinthians 4 tells us the requirement for a steward. Verse 2 says, Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. As the uh, ensemble sang, the, the uh, alumni choir just a few minutes ago, I saw Jesus in you. Bob and Pat, that's true. I had a friend of mine, I have a friend of mine, very, very close friend, Rusty Smith, who pastors in Georgia, wrote a song last year called Faithfulness Matters. And uh, I want you to just hear a little bit of it. It's, it's just one word. It may seem small. But the impact is great, and it matters to all. Faithful in thought, in word and deed, in the choices we make, and the lives that we lead. Faithfulness matters, though no one's around. Seeming hopeless, with no sight of a crown, faithfulness matters. When life comes apart, stay faithful to God. How strengthen your heart. I think we're going to try to do an audio of it. We're good? Okay. Brian's got it for us. As we think of this final audio excerpt I want to play, I, I think it would be best to say it this way. Bob and Pat, you've exhibited before us signature faithfulness. We. And I can believe I, I can say it for all of us. We are grateful. Faithfulness matters. We're looking forward to the ministry yet ahead. To this point, well done, thou good and faithful servants. It's just one word, and it may seem small, but the impact is great. And it matters to all Faithful in thought In word and deed In the choices we make And the lives that we lead Faithfulness matters Though no one's around Seeming hopeless With no sight of a crown Faithfulness matters when life comes apart. Stay faithful to God. He'll strengthen your heart. You may not see what lies before and the doubts and the fears blind the path even more and though you feel like you're all alone 
in the trial that you face, God will make himself known. Faithfulness matters, though no one's around, seeming hopeless with no sight of a crown. Faithfulness matters when life comes apart. Stay faithful to God. He'll strengthen your heart. He was faithful in death, triumphant in life, the example to all. He's the truth and the light. Faithfulness matters, though no one's around, seeming hopeless with no sight of a crown. Faithfulness matters when life comes apart. Stay faithful to strengthen your heart. Faithfulness matters, though no one's around, seeming hopeless with no sight of a crown. Faithfulness matters when life comes apart. Stay faithful to thankful to Ben Everson for letting me use his recording of that song. And I was thinking my past, my uh, Christian school teacher became the head Bible teacher at Gloucester County Christian School where I graduated. He said this, every decision you make affects the next decision you make. Remember this, you will be what you are becoming. Every decision you make affects the next decision you make. You will be what you are becoming. First, I hope you will decide that only the Lord Jesus Christ can save you from your sin. And if you've trusted him as Savior, I hope you'll decide that every day matters. Every day is a life to be, is a, is a thank, note, thank you note to be given back to God, a life invested for him. Lord, thank you for the Francines. Thank you for what this day represents. And all glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to say that to remind the Francines of where the glory goes. They've never given us any inkling that they would steal your glory. But we realize that what has been done in them is a wonderful work by you with some cooperating servants. I pray you'd work in our hearts to cooperate with your grace. I won't have an invitation in the form.